This episode is sponsored by Horizon Capital, an M&A and micro-private equity firm that acquires and grows SaaS companies. Horizon Capital only works with SaaS companies generating between 500K and 5 million in annual recurring revenue, where they help them unlock the true value of their business and scale to the next level. Whether you're ready to move on to your next startup or want to work with the right growth partner, Horizon's team will work with you to find the best structure possible. From M&A strategy to capital investments, SaaS is all they do. Simple as that. If you're a SaaS founder with less than $5 million in annual recurring revenue and are looking to sell your business, visit horizoncapital.com today and get a free valuation. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to quickly scale your SaaS company to $10 million in ARR. Today, we have our guest, Matt Wallach, joining us. Matt is a B2B sales coach, founder, investor, and a specialist in software demos. He's the creator of the perfect deal process that helps software leaders turn bad demos into conversion machines, creating an experience that gets prospects emotional and ready to take action, which we'll talk all about today. So welcome, Matt. Super excited to have you on SaaS District today. Thank you, Akil. Really happy to be here. Awesome. Um, so for, I know you're a sales, you know, that's kind of your background. That's your expertise. Um, you know, a lot of people in, in, our, in our audience are always looking for ways to improve their, their sales. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about your background, your past ventures, and how you got into the Inc. 500, and I believe five straight Inc. 5000 awards? Yeah, sure. So uh, it, my SaaS journey started about 15 years ago, got into it. Uh, three of us started up... Uh, 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 it was a medical-based type EMR, electronic medical record system. And of the three, it was my responsibility to do all of the marketing and sales for it. And I had done some sales previously and I had some decent experience. So I went into it really confident, really excited and said... I got this. I'm going to take care of this. You guys focus on your part. Don't worry about this. And uh, I was a bit too overconfident because I fell flat on my face. And I was terrible. I could not figure it out. Didn't know what I was doing wrong. And uh, just kept banging my head against the wall, Akil. And it was very, very frustrating. Um, I, I, I tried to you know, learn what I could. I didn't want to just take it sitting down. And so I went out and read all the books and, and uh, followed gurus and, you know, listened to talks and read articles and still wasn't able to get the kind of scale you need. You know, in SaaS, you know, you've got to have incredible growth, exponential growth. Everybody talks about the triple, triple, double, double, and you've got to be able to achieve that or else you're just going to get blown out of the water. Somebody's going to come up behind you and, and, and smash you. Uh, and so I've, I, I said, there's got to be a better way. And at that time in the, in the mid-2000s, people were just still figuring out SaaS. We, we had to explain what SaaS was to every single prospect we talked to. They had no idea. Um, they, were, they had all kinds of concerns about the cloud and all of that. Um, so it was definitely a very new thing. And there wasn't anybody I could go to who could help me and tell me, hey, here's how you sell SaaS. Because I realized it was very, very different. Mm -hmm. So 
fortunately, I was able to kind of take a piece from this, some of that, a bit of this, and create what we now call the perfect deal process, which is where it really makes it easy and repeatable. You can take a process, you can plug it in, and the perfect deal process makes it so that you, your team, can can work a SaaS deal extremely efficiently and close a lot, a lot. We're talking close at scale. Um, so once we did that, we hit exponential growth. We got awards. Inc. 500 was one of those. We actually, like you said, hit the Inc. 5000 uh, five years in a row, uh, which was a tremendous accomplishment for us. So uh, one of the fastest growing companies in the world we were very excited about. Uh, and then uh, it led to uh, uh, a very nice exit. And then uh, did the same thing again with a with another firm. So it's been a really fun ride. I'm, I'm really glad I figured that out. But uh, really now what I do is I help others. I understood how bad that struggle was. I hated that struggle as a startup founder trying to figure it out. And so what I do now is I help other startup founders understand the path and learn the way to get over those initial struggles, those initial speed bumps and hurdles so that they can get right to success much quicker. Nice, nice. So you found out you, you you've been through the the struggles, and now you've got the recipe for to pass on to others. Nice, exactly. <laughs> so before before just kind of rewind there uh, for a minute there. So you've been through, I believe, at least a couple of exits, right? Uh, including the one at, at, when you're working at WebPT. What was the? Can you share like what was the process and experience for you after you know hitting that scale and eventually exiting for the first time? Do you remember that moment? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the first one was you know they talk about the double dipping when initially we got the first investment where we were still involved. Um, but we had a big payoff right in the middle of our journey. Not really in the middle. It was closer to the end, but we still weren't done. Um, and so I think that's something that a lot of people don't think about. I had no idea that was a thing. They're like, yeah, investors are going to come in. You're going to get a big chunk of change. I'm like, okay, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, so if you ask me what that moment was, I mean, the emotions were amazing. I mean, to be able to... Um, celebrate my wife and I, we looked at our bank account. We're just like, holy cow, we cannot believe it. We never thought that we would see numbers like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it changed our lives. You know, obviously we moved, we got a different house. We were able to, uh, you know, before that being a bootstrapped company, things were tight. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were a little, uh, you know, uh, scraping by, I would say. Uh, it obviously got better as we grew and we were able to sell more. And we, were able, we were able to have some revenue to support. But um, to go from where we were just uh, barely scraping by to that was definitely uh, a fun ride. Nice, nice. And then uh, from there, I believe you went and launched a new startup with Synquio, uh, which was acquired by Building Engines within two-year time frame. Did you uh, purposely planned that exit this time when you started that company? And was there anything different on how you built that company uh, you know, this time? And you know, what was the ch challenges and ch uh, differences between that first exit and, and then the other one? Yeah, so Sinlio was interesting because in that scenario, we were the only type of our product in the market. So the difference would be with WebPT, we were one of 30. And we, mm. when we came in, we were the tiny player and everybody kind of laughed at us and there were 30 other, you know, companies we were up against in terms of competition. Um, but, but, but our model was, was unique in that it was SaaS and we were the first SaaS player. Um, mm. However, everybody else was already entrenched. And so for that, it was really how do we kind of take over a market and reteach a market about this new delivery method and how much easier it is for them. With Sinlio, that was, 
you know, 10 years later, people understood what SaaS was by that point. But with our product, which was an RFP automation for real estate property managers and such, um, nobody was doing that. And so we thought it was blue ocean, big, wide open playing field. And we thought it was going to be just, oh, we're just going to home run everything. Well, it wasn't quite like that either. We, we realized pretty quickly that we needed to educate our market because since, it, since nobody had done this before, nobody knew that there was a problem that needed to be solved. Nobody knew that what they were doing currently in their current work situation was bad. It was just their normal work process. And okay. so we had to educate the market on... First, you you actually do have pain. Believe it. This, what you're doing is wrong and you should be doing it a much easier, much simpler way. And then mm-hmm. we were able to, to have success. We were fortunate that we were able to close the top three in a certain market segment. We were able to close the top th- three national players. And that really accelerated our growth quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of your question, Akil, because I kind of got off track there. Sure. Uh, yes. Did you want to exit? Yes, we definitely started and had everything set up with a plan to exit. I fully believe that if you're not thinking about your exit when you get started, then you're behind. You need to be thinking about what's the full cycle? What's the plan? What's the future? What will be your exit? What will it look like? How will you, how will you set up the company to be able to look good to an acquirer? And how do you make sure that you've got your ducks in a row, your process, your systems so that they come in and they see something that is just a machine that they mm. say, this is something I want. Nice. And then so you had that, you took kind of what the learnings from the last last kind of company. You knew it worked. You then applied it here. Obviously, it did work. You got tremendous growth. Within, Were you planning that two years? Um, like at that two-year mark, did you guys go out and, and try to find that that buyer? Or did they approach you and you said, okay, tight, let's just do it and, and, and entertain They approached. The no, yeah, they approached. We, I didn't think it was going to happen that quickly. Um, <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's, it, you never know when it's going to happen. Sometimes people aim for like a three to five. That's typically what I would aim for, mm-hmm. um, depending on the market, depending on the, the products. But um, that one was a little bit sooner. Nice. Um, so coming back to today, or at least in, in 2020, last year, it's already 2021 here, you launched Excellus, which is your B2B sales coaching firm. So what was that decision now behind going out? So you went out there and you decided to, you know, build this uh, training program to improve sales conversions uh, rather than, you know, building another SaaS company. Good question. Because I do love the SaaS game and I love the startup game. And I just, it's just such a fun environment when you have a team and you get the team and they're, they're all kind of pushing the flywheel the same way. And you start to see traction, you start to see things happening and building. It's just, it's just a really exciting time. So I love that. Uh, But what I, what I also realized that I love was building my own team and finding somebody who was totally green, didn't know the industry, didn't even completely understand sales and teaching them and coaching them on the market, on the product, on our process and showing them exactly how they can succeed. That coaching for me, I realized that I absolutely loved and watching that person get to that level of success and seeing them absolutely kill it, going from zero to 100 was really, really special for me. And so what I said was, hey, I really enjoy that. And why don't I just do that on a bigger scale and make a bigger impact? I also love SaaS. I mean, I'm an enthusiast. I think, about, oh, that's a great idea. They're doing a great job. Or that, oh, that's really slick over there. I love what, what's happening there. And so instead of focusing on one product and one market now, I can work with a ton, you know? And so I have many clients in many countries targeting many different types of markets. So it's for me, an awesome 
mental challenge that I've got these different markets to think of, these different strategies to put together with my clients. And uh, the fact that I can have an impact worldwide. I mean, I have uh, clients in, I think, so these are all my clients' flags for anybody who Mm -hmm. can see that. I know we're on an audio podcast, uh, but I think there's 18 different countries in five different continents. So it's really, really fun for me to have that impact. I think that that's really what it's all about. Will I get back to SaaS? Yeah, I might might dip my toe back in the water. I think it's a fun time, maybe mm. more as a, a board advisor as opposed to somebody actually working in the trenches. Nice. So I guess it's more of, rather than chasing, you know, another building a new company and looking at that exit and you know, maybe the money as kind of the primary motivation factor seems you're more driven by, you know, the purpose, the, the impact at this point and seeing that that kind of change in somebody. It, absolutely. That that's so fun for me. Impact is a is a great word for it, Akil, because it, it's fun when I have a client come to me, they're struggling. And I I I remember one in particular, Greg, he was basically about to give up his company. He built a great product. It was really, really slick. And uh it's it's planless.io, by the way, and was frustrated because he knew he had a great product, but didn't know how to convince others that it was a great product. Mm-hmm. And so fortunately. He found me. We got together. He took what I gave him for Bible and said, I'm going to definitely put the work in and implement this. He did. He went from about a 2.9% close rate to about a 30% close rate in a few months. And so he's now like absolutely killing it. He's hiring a team. He's growing. He's seeing that exponential lift. He's closing. The other day, he he, uh, messaged me and said he had five demos, closed four of them with cash on the call. And uh, I was just super, super proud of him. So it's fun to see somebody go from, I'm about to give up to, wow, this thing has a future. We're scaling. I can see where this is going and it's looking really good. Nice. Going through the entire hero's journey. Uh, so exactly. <laughs> let's talk, let's talk about what you, you helped Greg with. Can you walk us through more exactly about what that deal process is and how do you help other B2B SaaS founders actually implement that within their sales process? Yeah, so that, it, let, let's dive into what that perfect deal process is. So in that D-E-A-L in perfect deal process is an acronym. In each of those letters stand for something. Okay. So first in the sales process, you need to discover. That's the D. You need to learn all about the prospect, the buyer that you're talking to. You need to understand their current situation. You need to understand their goals, what makes them tick. And really, it's all about pain and what what are they trying to solve? What's happening? And so we really work on that whole discovery process, which is something that a lot of people before they get into the the uh, into sales mode, because a lot of the people I work with originally were technical founders, mm-hmm. they don't understand how important discovery is. But it really, it's the most important part of the sales process. And so. Once they learn that, it gives them a really strong foundation from which to build upon. Uh, The second letter, the E, is educate. And so in educate, you need to teach them about what's going on. People look up to teachers. They look up to advisors. So if you're coaching them on something that's happening within the industry, instead of just pitching and selling to them, see, when people pitch, you're going to put up a wall. But if you're educating... That wall comes down and like, yeah, give me all. I'm, you're going to train me. You're going to show me. You're going to coach me. Great. Give it all to me. So we teach our clients how to shift from being a salesperson to being a helper, to being a consultant. And educate is part of that. The A in perfect deal process is associate. And so in associate, 
Now what you need to do is you've learned their problems, you've learned their pain and the goals. Now you need to associate your product, your solution to their pain and their goals. And if you can do that, that's gold. Okay. You need to figure out, okay, you've got a problem. You've got a challenge. Discovery is where you can decide, is this somebody I can help? If not, do not continue. If you can't help them, if you can't solve their problem, get them somewhere else that can. But once you realize that, now you need to associate how your product does it because you know it, but it's really important to make sure that they understand it. And so there's some real great, really cool tactics to be able to do that. We implemented that with Greg and it was awesome to see. We do that with everybody. And then the L is lead. Lead means you need to be the one to lead the prospect through the process. You need to guide them and show them exactly uh, uh, what should happen at every step of the way and kind of hold their hand through the entire sales process, through the beginning, the calls, the end, all of it. Too many times, sales reps, you know, we've been taught forever, the customer is always right, right? And so they say, well, whatever they want to do. No, no, no. It's not whatever they want to do. And I have clients who ask me, hey, Matt, I understand lead. I know I should do it. But here's a Fortune 500. And these are big dogs, C-level. And they know this and they've been to MBA and all this, all this. I, I don't think I should... I, and I asked them, let me ask you, how many times have you been through your sales process? Oh, 100, 200, 1,000, whatever. How many times have they been through your sales process? Once, this is it. Okay, so who knows more about what should happen during this process? Who knows more about what the most efficient way for them to understand if they can be helped or not? Who knows more about how they can get to the next steps and learn how to solve their problem? And it's you every time. And so leading the customer is really, really important. But that's the perfect deal process. Okay. Now, so diving into that, so if you know, you're able to get people on the call, you're able to schedule those demos. For example, Greg, he, had, he was obviously getting conversions, you know, to just over 2%. Where would you say, like, do you see most of these sales reps failing to be able to close those deals? Like, was there a specific point or was it all, all across that deal that you see them, you know, um, that needs to be improved? Well, it, it, part of the problem is that discovery. So a lot of times people, okay. they may think that they're doing discovery by asking what's wrong and somebody says something and then you're done. You go on mm-hmm. and show your product. There's so much more to it than that, um, and, and that it, it's it's... It's really hard to know it. One of the things about sales is it's not intuitive. Great sales is not intuitive. If it were, everybody would be great at it and they'd be closing huge amounts of deals all the time. But it's not. The things that you would think should work, don't. And the things that you would never in a million years think that would work, actually do. And so once we, once we taught him that and once other people learned that, they, they closed really quickly. Another one of my clients, Jonas, had sold nothing, zero. After two weeks, he sold $200,000 worth of stuff. And once you learn those tactics, it's, it, it, it's crazy what can happen. Um, so one of the things that Greg told me, which is fantastic, is after he gets through his discovery and he gets that, that process done, he says his clients are 90% closed. It's not about the product. They mm-hmm. just get so emotional and so worked up that they realize that they have a pain because... We teach how to get them to understand how bad the pain is. It's not just, oh yeah, they have a problem. They need to understand how bad the problem is. It's more than just, I have a problem. And once they uh, get them worked up, they say, I need a solution to this right now. I use the knife analogy, Akil, and it sounds dark, but 
what it is, is when you're discovering, there's three steps to pain. The first step is as an expert, you need to identify where their pain is. Okay. So you might see that they have a knife in their gut. They may not know it yet, but as an expert, you should know it. You should see it based on how you're asking the questions. Once you see it, you then need to make sure that they see it, that they identify it. And once you do that, that's the next step. Now, good reps are able to do that. They're able to get them to identify that. Oh, I have a knife in my gut. Oh, so I do. Yeah, you're right. Mm. But too many people stop there. More than 95% of people selling software stop there. Oh yeah, I got them to, to see that. Because mm -hmm. your natural inclination is if they have a knife in their gut and they're like, oh, that kind of hurts. Oh, well, I'll save you. I will pull the knife out and I'll tell you all about how my product's going to solve all your problems. Yeah. You didn't go far enough. Okay. In order to really make sure that they are ready, you have to twist the knife. So instead of pulling the knife out and being the nice person, you twist the knife. It's sadistic. I know it's terrible. This is not real, by the way. Don't do this at home. Uh, and when you twist the knife, that's them realizing, oh, it hurt. Ah, they realize how bad the pain is. Before that, they don't. So if they say something like, oh, yeah, we're, 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 how are you solving this? Well, we're doing this and it's taking Mary. Uh, she does this and she goes, oh, how long does it take for Mary to do that? Oh, well, I guess it takes her two hours a day. Two hours a day. So you're telling me that's 10 hours a week. How, what's Mary's pay? Oh, well, I guess she's making 20 bucks an hour. Well, $20. So you're spending, and you do the calculation, you're spending this much money on this problem and you're losing an opportunity for Mary to do other projects. What is that costing you? Well, I didn't even think about it that way. You're right. Wow, that is. I guess I should think about it. Holy cow, we need to fix this. Why are we still doing this? And when you get them to that point, you're twisting the knife. Now they say, I, I can't believe we've been doing this. I need a solution right now. And that's when you know you've gotten them emotional enough to be ready for your solution. And at that point, it's just a matter of, yeah, I have a solution. Great. Give it to me. I got it. I need something. I'm so thirsty. I need water. You got water? Great. I don't care if it's slightly a little bit dirty or where you got it from. I need it right now. <laughs> okay. Got it. So just one question on the, on that discovery side. So how much are you twisting that knife, you know, and how much questions are you asking? Like, how do you make that balance? Are you asking, you know, sometimes it's like a list of 10, 20, 30 questions. Do you go through all of those until you bore them? Because they're like, okay, this is just, you're just interviewing me here. Ask me a bunch of questions uh, versus like, okay, enough. How do you balance this? Just enough to, you know, give them that enough pain that I, I want the solution now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you definitely don't want like 20 or 30 questions. In fact, gong.io did a study and they found that 11 to 14 is about the right number of questions. Now that's mm -hmm. in general for different products in different markets, it could be a little less, a little more, but too many mm -hmm. times people are asking one or two questions and that's clearly mm -hmm. not enough in a SaaS sale. If you have mm -hmm. 20 or 30, that's clearly too much. People are going to be like, okay, we get it. What's going on? So really the goal of discovery is to learn one, is this a fit? Do you even want to work with them? Do you want this company as one of your clients, one of your customers? Mm -hmm. You need to know that. Nice. So you got to ask the necessary qualification questions for that. And two is you've got to get them absolutely ready for a solution. Mm. Okay. So once you've done those things, go. If they start getting really emotional and they need a solution, you don't need to go into other things as long as you already know that they are a fit for your solution. So, And then if you're hearing just a question around that, you know, a lot of people say, hey, um, you know, I, I want to take time to think about it. I want to check around. I want to look at different prices. What, what is typically wrong there? What have you done wrong in, in the sales demo? So typically two things. You didn't discover well enough. You didn't get them emotional enough to want to make and take action right now. And you didn't lead. You didn't 
take charge and explain the next steps. Uh, and what you said, I want to uh, think about it. Uh, Brian Tracy, classic sales expert, guru guy. He says, people never think it over. I want time to think it over. People never think it over. After they get off that, they go and do other things. And your your product, your solution is just one piece of all the different things on their plate on their to-do list. So they're not sitting there all day like, hmm, should I do this? Hmm. No. If they say I need to think it over, it's over. You lost. Yes, you may win 1% or 2% of those. But in general, you lost the deal. So something happened that didn't get you to the right point. Now, in other cases, they may, may legitimately have a process, but it's up to you to understand that process. What are the ways that you and your company make decisions like this? Who's involved? How does it go? How long does it typically take? You need to know all that, okay? Especially if you're doing a complex sale and you're not talking to a decision maker. Right. But that's something you should know and then you lead. Okay, you told me that this is how it goes. So the next step is we need to talk with Mike. So let's have a meeting with Mike. And then we'd have to talk with Shannon. And let's get her involved. And that's how you structure it so that you take control and you make it happen. Nice. Love it. Um, so you mentioned you train your team to about that 63, you got 63% demo closing rate. You got Greg up to about 30%. What, what's a reasonable goal number that you know, we, should be, we should be all be aiming for? Is there a general rule, rule of thumb? It really depends on the market with where we were. Um, that was after a period of great marketing, great sales for a while building up to that point. Lots of education, lots of training, lots of educating the market. Um, so that's you're not going to roll all the gates with that unless uh, lightning strikes. Uh, but it's something to work towards. My thing on this is somebody says, hey, we're at this percentage. Okay, let's, let's add 5%. Let's add 10%. How do we get there? Um, hmm. Most people before they come to me, once they talk with me, once they learn the methods, they double. So if you're at 10%, you usually get to 20%. If you're at 25, you usually get to 50%. Because when we take and fix each different piece of the process, each of those compounds, if you fix this little piece at the beginning, then more people get to the next step. If you fix that, more people get to the next step. So we just see a doubling. Uh, Greg's happened to be 10 times. So many people quadruple. Uh, so it really depends on where you are and what you expect to be. In SaaS, you can reasonably close 30 to 50%, depending on your market, if you do things well enough. Mm. And so that's really what people are trying to get to to aim for, is 30 to 50% of the demo calls that you have. Nice. And then how, does that strategy change if you know, you're demoing? Like, would your deal process or what you train people change if you're uh, targeting SMBs with you know, smaller lifetime values versus you know, enterprise-level deals? The thing that changes the most, typically is complexity and number of people involved. And so typically the calls are a little bit shorter when it's SMB and a little more detailed and longer when it's enterprise. Typically when it's enterprise, if it's a big complex deal, you may split the calls. Your discovery might be its own call. And that's just what you do. Then you get to the actual demonstration and where you're showing and associating your product to their pain. Uh, and you might have another call after that, what I call a cost review, where you review the cost. By the way, never, never, never just send them a proposal. Always, always go through the cost with them over the phone or in person. Um, if you just send them a proposal, they're going to see it. They're going to be shocked. They've come off the emotion of the call. You're going to lose. So that's a little side tip. Um, but you can split discovery. You can put it together with the demo. It really depends. So the way I advise it is we really break down what's the complexity of the product and the sale and who's in, who needs to be involved. And then let's figure out how we structure each call. 
Nice. So, for example, with the Greggs, uh, I'm assuming that was SMB, right? Because he was he was probably pitching, showing the price on the call, closing it right there, all all in the one one single process, right? Correct. His is all in one call. Nice, nice. Um, so, obviously, SaaS company. You said we want to talk about that that scale, right? They're, they want to be a leader in their product and industry, as you guys did. Um, and you talk about what you call the four pillars of SaaS scaling companies. Can you talk about what are these four pillars and and why are they why are they so important? Yeah, absolutely. So there, there's four really key pillars. If you say, hey, I'm building a SaaS and I want this thing to take off. We're going big. Mm-hmm. There's four things you need to do. One, you need to attract. You need to figure out who your ideal customer profile is, your ICPs, and you need to get them aware of what you're doing. They need to understand that you have a product, that it can solve some problems. They need to be aware and interested that this might be a solution for them. Once you have that, you need to engage with them. Pillar number two is engage. Just getting them aware is not enough. Just getting them interested is not enough. You need to actually engage or get them to engage, meaning get them to download some content and talk with you, get them to set up a call, get them to, if a free trial is your thing, do a free trial or freemium plan, get them into the freemium plan. Somehow you need to engage. Uh, Most people, once you get to a certain price point, $50, maybe $75 or more, you need to have a personal connection with them to be able to do that. The higher the price point, the more likely that you have to personally connect with them in order to close a deal. A lot of people say, hey, I, I want to do a free trial. Will that work? And I say, what's your price point? Oh, it's $2,500 a month. I'm like, no, it will not work. <laughs> At $2,500 a month, somebody's going to want to talk to you and actually hear from a person how, they're, how, how it works. Um, so you need to engage. That's pillar number two. Once you've attracted the right people, once you've engaged with them, now you need to close them. Okay. And we really work on those closing skills, that call, that sales call. How do you nurture? How do you massage the, the, the prospect in order to be ready to close? How do you get the deal done? Get them to sign on the line that it's dotted. That's really, really critical and very difficult for a lot of people, that closing uh, process. Once you attract, once you engage, once you close... You can make a great process around that, but now it's time to scale. And that's where a lot of founders struggle because they did that as a software founder. You can, through sheer will, almost do that. And you kind of carry some weight since you're the founder, you're the CEO, people like talking to you. So you can do those things, but then you need to scale. And so the fourth one of scale is really how do you develop your team? Where do you find the right people? What do you look for? What do you ask them? How do you compensate them? How do you... Uh, manage that team for success. Managing a sales team is managing uh, is different than managing other teams. Salespeople mm-hmm. are obviously very individually motivated. How do you get them thinking team? Um, so there's a lot of the things that we focus on training in the fourth pillar of scale. Once you've figured out the first three and you've got a conversion engine that's generating business, let's make it so that, boom, we can go big. And that's where investors come in because we can say, look, we've got our engine, we can attract, we can engage, we can close, and we've figured out the scale. We just need funds to put mm. into this thing, and boom, this thing's going big. Nice. And, and just on that first piece, so the traction phase, um, obviously you want, you want to make sure you get you know qualified leads in. Do you have any tips on how founders can maybe stop wasting time with, with unqualified leads and maybe uh, filter them out effectively? Yeah, so there's a few ways to filter. One is just through your messaging. Um, and I, had, I talked to too many founders. I just talked to one the other day and he said, hey, what's your target? And he said, well, anyone in sales is our target. I said, well, anybody who sells? Well, that's pretty much anybody, but anybody <laughs> who sells. He's like, yeah, that's our target. And I said, 
okay, this is a, this is a problem. It sounds great. And he even said, we're going to cast a really wide net. The problem with that is you have to use very general targeting, very general messaging. And when somebody goes and sees your messaging, it's not going to resonate with them, regardless of where they are. And so it's much better to actually find we fit really well for this person, this uh, vertical, this segment, because you're going to be able to message to that exact person. And it sounds great to a founder. And I'm, I've been guilty of it myself. Oh yeah, everyone. Let's get as much as we can. And when you're hungry and young, you've got no business, anybody you'll take, right? But actually you get better when you niche down. They say the riches are in the niches. Hmm. And you find that segment that you're perfect for. Because guess what? If you're selling to all salespeople, there's zillions of software out there that any salesperson can find and they all get pitched to about it. But if you say, we're for this salesperson that does this in this industry, then they're going to say, whoa, this is built exactly for me. One of the best pieces of advice I've gotten is your marketing, your messaging shouldn't sound good to everyone. Hmm. Your messaging shouldn't sound good to a lot of people. It should sound great to your perfect customer. That's how you do it. Now, it may mean nothing to anybody else. For me, if I say, I am going to help SaaS founders between zero and two million bucks, between zero and 10 million bucks, whatever it is, I'm going to help them scale and learn how to close deals really quickly. That sounds great to a software founder. But to another person in sales, they're like, oh, I don't think that's for me. And that's fine. I'm going to focus on this. And that works really well for me. So my biggest advice is don't be all things to all people. Figure out what you're great at and sell to those people. And just double down on that until you, until you can actually scale. Yeah. And then speaking of the scaling part, just a last piece there. Um, you found that, that process out. Um, any tips for, for not kind of burning out in that process? It, burning out in which process now? Uh, sorry, when, when, you're, when you're trying to scale, right? Because at that point, well, you, know, you have a lot of leads, you're trying to nurture them, engage them, you have a bunch of demos, you have to, how, how do you kind of effectively manage that without, without burning out? It's so difficult. It really is. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. you, you're right. You know, once you get that attraction, you've got leads coming in, you're trying to engage with them, you're trying to close them, you've got all these calls, you've got all these follow-ups. That's where you, you know you need to scale. Once you figure it out, okay, I've, I'm getting these calls, I'm closing them, I need somebody else to do this. And that's where the process comes in place. And that's why you need a playbook. You need to make sure you have your process, your framework dialed in so that when you do hire that next person, not only did you find the right person, but you can get them up to speed quickly because it's like, hey, here's the process, sit down, understand it, and you're off and running. Follow the process, follow the system. And it's so much easier for somebody new to come in cold and pick it up quickly because you don't mm -hmm. want to be in a situation where your salespeople take three to six months to ramp up. You need them up in one month, ready to rock and roll, ready to start contributing so they can take some pressure off of you. Because mm -hmm. typically as a founder, when you're doing sales, you're doing those sales, but you're also doing all these other things. You have product meetings. You have, you know, if you're a developer, you're building some of the product yourself. You've got to figure out the marketing. You've got support issues because somebody came to this. There's a partner that wants to talk to you because you're the CEO. You've got so many things. So if sales has taken a lot of time, you've got to figure out a way to get somebody else in and ramped up and process is the way to do it. Got it. Got it. Um, and then shifting to the to the inbound engine. So I think you've developed this that that generated over 300 leads per month. Can you speak a little bit more about what you did there that worked and maybe how others can, can also develop that? Maybe what, their, what, what would that marketing budget look like as well? 
So for us, that one, the two biggest things for us were content and partnerships. Content's key. Start content right away. Um, and I've talked with lots of content experts and they say persistence and consistency are the two biggest things in content. Um, yeah, you got to learn all the ways of targeting and SEO and all this stuff. Uh, but just doing it and figure out a way. You guys have a great podcast here. That's a great piece of content. Uh, other ways, that, you know, blogs, articles, videos, get yourself on a guest on, on places. And once you start doing this, people start to learn about you, hear about you, get some SEO hits, all that. So content is key. That was a really big one for us. Uh, and then partnerships. Uh, figure out who else is targeting the same market, the same group of people, and make partnerships with them as long as you're not uh, competitors. And and those partnerships can be really, really rewarding. You're going to be able to generate leads. You're going to pass leads back and forth and, and help each other. So uh, we generated a lot of leads there because we had a great content engine and we had partnerships. Nice. Nice. Love it. Um, so thank you, Matt, for these. I want to shift to kind of more of an, on a personal level here, kind of sharing your tips on how you got to where you are today. Um, is, is there an advice you, you would give to yourself looking back at, you know, your 25-year-old Matt? Any advice you'd give to yourself back then? Yeah, I think looking back, um, I was... Uh, I don't want to say it wrong, but I think I was too ambitious. I wanted all of it right away. Mm-hmm. And I tell others I mentor now that are in those mid-20s and they always want it now. And that's exactly the way I wanted it too. I want it right now. And it's easy to think that back then. But if I had just checked my ego and settled down and learned and uh, made sure that I was continually improving and educating myself. I would have, I would have had seen great success. I mean, I was fortunate the way it worked out, but it would have allowed me to kind of have better relationships with my with my colleagues. It would have allowed me to help others better, uh, and I think I would have uh, seen better growth at that age. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me a while to learn that. Yeah. Yeah. Sound advice. Um, so you talked about, you know, you read a lot of books, podcasts, you know, audio, uh, followed a lot of gurus. Who or what are, would you say are the three best resources that can be books and or people, mentors or people you follow who you, you'd say have been the most instrumental to your success over the last few years? Uh, I, I've been fortunate. So in terms of mentors, I've been fortunate that I've had really good personal mentors. So um, I don't really have like a, a main guru out there that that is a famous person that I'm like, I got you got to do everything that way. Uh, but I've had really good mentors that have taken me under their wing and helped me along the way. Uh, in terms of books, one book that I highly, highly recommend, I actually give this book to all of my new clients is The Challenger Sale. Uh, the Challenger Sale is a great methodology. Uh, Brent Adamson and Matthew Dixon basically went through data and figured out the right type of salesperson. Who in what personality traits actually sells the best. Because everybody thought, oh, you got to build relationships. You've got to be able to just love on them and, and get them to love you in order to be able to sell. And there's some of that. However, if you do that too much, you actually have the least likelihood of selling. The relationship out of five different personality traits that they kind of, personality types they kind of group people into, the relationship builder did the worst, which is shocking. And again, hmm. I mentioned earlier, sales is not intuitive. You know, you would think, oh yeah, I got to get him to be my friend. Sales is not intuitive. The one that did the best is the challenger. 
The challenger is the person who doesn't exactly just go along with whatever they say, but they do, they follow the uh, three T's is the way they laid it out. The three T's are teach, tailor, and take control. Teach them, educate them. So that's why we have educate in the perfect deal process. Tailor your pitch to them. Make sure that it's personalized, it's pitching directly to their needs and take control. That's why we have lead. You take control of the process. And if you can do those three things, the three T's, that's going to make it really, really powerful. Your, your entire offering, your solution is going to be very powerfully driven and they're going to see this and you as somebody who can help them get to where they need to go. Nice. What was the name, uh, the name of the book? We'll add it in our show. Oh, it's called, it's called The Challenger Sale. The Challenger Sale. Okay, awesome. Really Glad good that. one. Yeah. Cool. So our, our audience can check that out. Uh, so Matt, you've had a, obviously a couple of exits now. You're doing well with, with growing your firm as well. What does uh, success mean to you today? Whether that's personally, financially, business, there's no right answer. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I like winning. So I'm very winning competition motivated. I always have been. I've always been a sports guy, played sports. I follow sports religiously. Um, and so a lot of people in sales are motivated by money. And yeah, the money's great. But for me, it's the competition about the win. So when we were growing, for us to take over a competitor for us to pass somebody for us to win even on a small scale a deal uh, and then to become number one in the market to me was like great because we were winning the game we were winning the competition now i get that through my clients i love it when my clients send me texts send me messages send me emails saying holy cow you wouldn't believe it it worked i had one this morning on, on our group coaching call uh he said hey Last week, they're a new client. Last week was the first time we implemented your process and it went amazingly well. We couldn't believe it. We did it and it was awesome. So thank you so much. For me, I celebrate those wins just as big. Only now I get more of them because all of my clients can come to me and tell me that they've had success. And that's a lot of fun for me. Nice. So seeing them win is a win for you and that's your success. Absolutely. Nice. Absolutely. Nice. Awesome. So, so Matt, uh, final question for, for audience. What, what are your future plans for, for your firm and where can our audience get in touch with you to learn more about, about your, your, uh, your solution and, and your coaching program? Sure. Uh, so future plans, just looking at uh, scaling my own business. You know, I've got a team going to be growing that team. I want to be able to provide this help to more people. I've seen it's working so well. When people learn this methodology, these frameworks, they take off instantly. Like they're seeing results right away. So I want to help more. I know that there's other founders out there who are struggling and having a trouble finding success. And so I'm trying to create uh, uh, systems and processes within my own business so I can scale and help more and more people. Uh, where can you find me? MattWallach.com. M-A-T-T-W-O-L-A-C-H.com is where I'm at. You can find all the information about my services. I also have a whole huge amount of tips. We talked about content. I have tips.mattwallach.com that's loaded with videos and articles and help to be able to help somebody who's in the process of trying to grow their software company so that they can get some quick, actionable help right away. Awesome. We'll add those to the show notes for everybody to check out. Thank you so much, Matt. Appreciate you jumping on again on SaaS District today. Absolutely, Akil. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. No problem. Take care. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SaaS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow 
and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.